Thank you all for joining today's call. Just one thing of note before we get started, we will not have a transcript available for the call, but we will have an audio replay on our ESPN.com main pod center page. Um, you can feel free to shoot me an email as well, and I can get you that link. But thank you all for joining. We have Kirk Herbstreet on the line, uh, who will be working the NFL draft for the first time. He's joining Trey Wingo, Mel Kuyper Jr., and Lewis Riddick on the main set for Thursday's round one. Earlier in that same day, Herbstreet will be on College Game Day, which is televising uh, for the first time from the NFL draft as well. So, busy day for Kirk. And, uh, Kirk, going to turn it over to you to kind of uh, give kind of your opening thoughts on uh, working the NFL draft. Okay. Thanks, Derek. Appreciate it. Yeah, um, just, a, just a, a unique opportunity when when ESPN came to me and asked me, uh, I think it was back in early part of January, if I had uh, some interest in, in replacing a uh, coach who was going back to the NFL to, to coach the Raiders and, um, yeah, I, I have a front row seat to watch these guys, uh, really from their freshman year all the way, uh, through their careers. And so it was, uh, kind of a natural thing for me, um, as far as comfort level. And so, you know, I'll probably bring a little bit of a different angle just because of my style, um, and how I'll, I'll be, uh, included. I'll be talking strictly from a college perspective of what I've seen from these guys, of their strengths and, and what they bring to the table. And I'll leave it to Lewis and, and Trey and, and Mel to kind of talk about, you know, what each team's needs might be and, and what, what they might be looking at. That's that's kind of out of my department or interest, to be candid. Um, so I'm just kind of focused on the college players and, and what I've seen, and, and um, uh, that's where I think they wanted me to, kind of be inserted into their lineup and kind of looking forward to it. And when they, then like a month later, they said, hey, we're also going to do college game day. And so it's a chance for me to get around all the, the team of game day, which we don't get a, a chance to do much in the off offseason. Um, so I'm fired up to do that uh, part of it as well, kind of a pregame leading up to the draft, and then head over to uh, to join the NFL side once we get started with uh, with the first round. So fired up and uh, and ready to go. Mr. Volner? Oh, sorry, but that had my phone on mute, so I apologize for that. We're going to start right at the uh, with someone who's at the top of the uh, teams at the top of the draft board. We'll go with Daryl Slater with the Newark Star Ledger, and then go to Mark with the Allentown Morning Call after that. So, Daryl, why don't you go ahead? Hey, Kirk, thanks for doing this. Um, as you look at these sure. four most prominent quarterbacks, Darnold, Rosen, Allen, and Mayfield. How would you rank those guys? And if you could provide maybe a thumbnail sketch on each of those guys in terms of their strengths and weaknesses. Thanks. Okay, sure. I, you know, for me, I'm a little bit different um, based on a lot of the analysis I've heard for the last couple months. I, I know a lot of people are, are kind of enamored with Josh Allen and, and his arm strength. Um, and there's a lot of talk about uh, what he brings to the table. And, and also, um, you know, we've heard a lot about you know, really Sam Darnold and all these quarterbacks. For me, I start with Baker Mayfield as, as my top guy. Um, has everything to do with production. Has everything to do with accuracy and decision-making. Um, I'm very big on, you know, people get caught up in how athletic a guy is, how how big an arm a, a guy has. I, I'm kind of a, a guy that goes back to when I watch quarterbacks, it's decision-making and it's accuracy. 
And Baker Mayfield, to me, is off the charts in all those areas. If he were 6'3", people would be marveling at, at this kid. But he's not 6'3", so, of course, there's some concerns. He played behind as big of an offensive line you could ever see in the NFL and had no issues whatsoever uh, sitting in a pocket, making throws from and finding kind of those passing lanes and, and evaluating defenses both in the inside and the outside. His accuracy is incredible. Uh, reminds me of a young Drew Brees coming out uh, when Drew was coming out of Purdue. Um, so he would be at the top for me. I would have Sam Darnold right after um, right after Baker. Darnold may have the most upside if you're looking four, five, six years down the road. I think he's still raw. I personally think he could have used another year of college to continue to kind of grow and mature in certain areas. Now, easy for me to say, he's maybe the first pick overall in the top five. It's obvious why he came out. But of all these guys, just based on what I watched, um, he'll, he'll make so many splash plays that make you just marvel at how good he is. And then you'll see him do some things that still show some immaturity, leaving the pocket a little bit prematurely, doing some things where he's relying still on his athletic ability, where he doesn't necessarily always have to do that. But his arm strength, his ability to improvise, um, coming out of a kind of an NFL style of offense in college at SC, I would put him at two. After that, it's, you know, it's a mixed bag. I, I would probably uh, lean a little bit more to Josh Rosen at UCLA. I happened to call the USC-UCLA game uh, late in the year when Allen, or when Rosen and, and Darnold went against each other and walked out of that stadium that night really impressed with Josh Rosen. Uh, I agree with a lot of the, the kind of the analysts that are out there saying when everything is clean, meaning no pressure, pockets clean, drops back, kid's going to make the decision where to go with the ball nine and a half or ten times out of ten, he's going to make the right read and an accurate throw. My one concern where he's going to have to grow is when he gets pressure, he's not quite as comfortable as some of these other guys at improvising. And, you know, from watching the NFL, you get a lot of pressure. And you got to be comfortable with being able to kind of get out of, uh, get out of that pocket and, and uh, buy a little bit of time and eventually be able to make a good decision and make a good throw. So, he, that's an area he's going to continue to grow. But I would put him there at three. Um, and, and Josh Allen, to me, is he could be a superstar. I mean, he, he could be Carson Wentz to this draft. No one really knows. Um, but it, it's, he's, he's a hard one for me to personally evaluate because he's coming out of Wyoming in the Mountain West. Um, he lost a lot of his better players after uh, the 16 season. He was working with some new personnel at receiver and offensive line. I think it affected him, especially when they went up against some of the, the bigger schools. Uh, they were overmatched, and I think it, it, it really had a negative impact on him. But I know he's had a lot of people impressed with his personal workout, his arm strength. He can make plays on the run. So there's a lot to like about him. To me, it's just a little bit more of a roll of the dice because of the unknown coming from uh, a smaller school. Perfect. We'll continue right along here. We're going to go to Mark with uh, Allentown Morning Call and then go to John out in uh, the West Coast with the Mercury News. So, Mark, why don't you go ahead first? Good sure, Thanks. Kirk, you've seen Saquon Barkley an awful lot over the last couple of years. What part of his game do you think is the most NFL-ready, and where would you like to see him get a little bit better? Uh, the most NFL-ready is his ability, I think, to make uh, people miss his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, um, 
He's a hard worker, uh, strong lower body, runs through a lot of tackles. Uh, in the college game and, and the way Penn State's offense evolved, they really worked on him between his sophomore and junior year becoming a better route runner, becoming much more involved in the passing game because I think people felt that they were going to kind of kind of load up the box and try to take him away. And their answer to that was, hey, let's get him on the perimeter in the passing game. And so he, he was very, very productive in that way. If you, if you watch some of his film from this past year, how many times do we see him catch a ball out in the swing pass, make a, a safety or a linebacker miss, and the acceleration after that initial move is as good as you'll see. So he's, he's instantly able to pick up 15, 20 yards if he, once he makes that first guy miss. So ability to make people miss, the combination of skills of, of having power and quickness, and as humble of a superstar as you'll ever meet. I'm guessing he'll be the first guy to show up at the facility, last guy to leave the facility. Uh, the vets, when they get around this guy, um, they're going to love him. I mean, absolutely love him. So he checked every box in my mind. He, he's, uh, he's a superstar who, who's very grounded and wants to outwork everybody and uh, will walk right into a locker room, and you'll instantly hear the offensive linemen want to block for him, the quarterback will like him. Everybody's going to gravitate towards the kid. So, uh, to me, he is by far the uh, guy in this draft, in my opinion. Perfect. We're going to go out to John Wilner with the Mercury News and then go to Nick up with the Buffalo News after that. John, go ahead. Kirk, thanks for your time. I was wondering if you could kind of compare the national media narrative of Josh Rosen to your personal interaction with him and with members of the UCLA staff over the years. Is it is the national narrative, does that mesh with your personal insight? Um, I, let's kind of backtrack a little bit. I, I think this thing started um, when he was at the Elite 11. And if you remember, Trent Dilfer made some comments about how he was uh, Rosen kind of came off as the smartest guy in the room type of thing. And so you come into to college with that being, as you say, kind of the national narrative. That's where he started. And then he had a couple episodes where his own head coach said, boy, I wish he would focus just basically, I'm paraphrasing, but just focus on being a pro and not worried about some of the, the minutiae. And so then that kind of, that was another kind of, brick in the foundation of this negative perception uh, that's been out there of Josh Rosen. Um, I've talked with a lot of people. I've spoken with Josh. I've never personally encountered that, uh, but I'm not in there during the nitty-gritty time when the doors are closed. Um, I've I've talked with folks uh, on the the staff that were under uh, Jim Mora, and I've heard guys say, you just got to get to know him. You got to get to know his personality, and I've never had an issue with him. Uh, he's a guy I'd want on my team. You got to have fun with him. Um, I, I don't think uh, because of some of the things I've heard, he doesn't love football. Um, I, I, I kind of take a step back when I, you know, he came out with a recent article saying he doesn't need football the way maybe some other players do. And, um, I think people really misconstrued that. Uh, I think he was just kept making a case for he happens to be in a position, uh, financially with his family where, he was just making a comment about that. That doesn't mean that he doesn't 
love the game or really want to be exceptional uh, at the position. Um, so I, I, I think, um, you know, we're going to uncover everything. If you're a GM or a head coach or, a, or an owner looking for anything they can find that might prevent you from making a pick, I get that, especially when there's four or five other quarterbacks that are in this draft. Um, but I would look at him. I would, I personally, based on my experience of being around him and watching his players interact with him, um, I don't see what the national narrative is. I, I personally not encountered that. Um, and so I, you know, I, I, I don't want to sit here and five years later, he becomes a handful, you know, and say, wow, I, I should have seen that, but from what what my experience has been and talking to a lot of people within that program, I've not seen a guy that's a a problem at all. I've seen a guy that his teammates believe in. They think he's got the answers. They think he can make every throw. They think he can help him the the team win. At the end of the day, that's really all players really care about anyway. Thank you. All right, we're going to go to Nick with the Buffalo News and then down to uh, Matt Baker with the Tampa Bay Times after that. Nick, go ahead. Hey, Kirk, thanks. Uh, so I'm wondering here, when you have a team that spends a top pick on a quarterback, obviously they feel like they can develop that guy into a franchise quarterback. But in your expertise, what kind of traits of a quarterback do you really need to have developed by the time you get out of college? Like which ones don't really get much better in the pros? Like what can you not teach that you need to have already? Yeah, that's a great question because I think – think about this. I mean, we're in an era right now where there's never been more of a, um, a focus. I have four boys. I have a fifth grader, I have a ninth grader, and I have identical twins that are they're juniors. And I've never seen across the country so many, quote, unquote, quarterback gurus in every market in the country that people spend a lot of money on thinking that their son is going to become – a superstar quarterback. So there's never been more uh, focus on trying to develop quarterbacks than at we as we sit here in the last five to seven, maybe ten years. And yet it's such a challenge to find a guy that comes through high school, that comes through college, goes to the NFL, and blossoms. And I, I personally think, in watching obviously a ton of college football, the college player, the college coaches inherit. I don't know if you guys watch high school football much, but the days of being under center and running an I-formation offense in high school football are over. And so you're a college team. You're going, to drive, you're, going to, you're going to recruit a quarterback that's been in the shotgun most of his life. Now you're, going to, now you're a college team, and chances are you're in some form of the spread. And you've you're, you're, you got four, three and four receivers, and you're looking over the sideline. They're holding up cards, and you're not even in a huddle. You're not, you know, in, in, a, in a huddle calling a, a play that, you know, is 15 to 20 words. You're just looking over. You get a quick call. Boom. It's all about tempo, right? So that's what's happening in college. And then you get in the NFL, and now all of a sudden we're asking these guys to get into a huddle, get under center, and try to adjust to leading very, very complex defenses. And many of them are failing. So what I've seen, especially this last year, is more and more NFL teams saying, man, why, why are we doing this? Let's take these quarterbacks that we're inheriting from, from the college ranks. This is what they know. Let's, instead of saying, this is the way I run my offense, I'm in the NFL, let's try to adjust our scheme to his strengths, whether it's Philly and what they did last year or the Rams with Jared Goff 
I think the NFL is doing a better job of adjusting to what they're inheriting the last couple of years and moving forward than trying to, you know, figure out how to deal with the spread guy coming in to learn an NFL system. I, I talked to Lincoln Riley, who's the head coach in Oklahoma. He said, you know, in the last few years, I may have one or two NFL teams come in and pick my brain about my offense. This year I had 28, 29, 30 teams that have come in to try to learn what we're doing offensively. And Oklahoma right now kind of sets the bar with Lincoln Riley on play calling and innovation as far as uh, offenses. So to answer your question, I, I really think that you've got to find a, a quarterback that, number one, I don't think it's the system necessarily that he's coming out of. I think it's an ability to process information, mainly not just the offense, but the defense. In college, you're going to see four or five different defenses maybe on a, on a given Saturday, unless you're playing Nick Saban. And you get into the NFL on a Sunday, man, you're, you're seeing, I don't know how many different coverages, 15 maybe in a game. And so th- there's a learning curve there for a quarterback to adjust to processing and having answers. When I watch NFL games, whether it's Brady or what Foles was doing late in the year or what Goff was doing, these great quarterbacks, they have answers. And how do they have answers? Hours and hours of prep during the week, understanding when they show this look, they're going to bring this blitz. And when they do that, bang, this is our answer. So to me, it's finding the quarterbacks, not how tall they are, not how far they throw the ball, not how fast they are, how quickly they process information and how quickly they have an answer to whatever their computer in their mind reads and sees and how quickly they can get the ball out and, and make a good decision and throw an accurate ball. So how you do that, it's, to me, that's why Baker Mayfield, I'm, I'm a little bit on an island there. All the things I just described, to me, are Baker Mayfield. Again, you can get scared off of him because he's not tall, but I'm not caught up in how tall you are. I'm, I'm caught up in quick decision-making and accuracy, and to me, that's that's why I have Baker at the top of the board. Thanks, Kirk. Sure. We're going to go to Matt Baker with the Tampa Bay Times and then to Andrew Hill with uh, Tuscaloosa News after that. Matt, go ahead. Hey, Kirk. Thanks for doing this. I'm going a little out of left sure. field here, but Florida State's only had – Two wide receivers drafted in the last decade. They're going to get their third and 11 years in odd tape this year. But I'm curious why you think it had so few receivers drafted. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to recruiting. Um, I know that when Jimbo uh, took over and started to get that thing really going, I think he felt pretty good uh, as he was recruiting players and and trying to develop them and and thought that the, he had some guys that could kind of go to that that next level. Um, I, you know, I I have it's, it's like trying to figure out why certain teams haven't developed a quarterback. Um, I don't think Jimbo Fisher or Nick Saban or Urban Meyer necessarily think about as they're recruiting. Hey, I need to figure out a guy that's going to go eventually and play in the NFL. I think they a lot of these guys they strictly think about uh, their system. And a certain receiver's skill set, of course, they want the best one out there. But I think at the end of the day, when they don't always get the one that they want, they're trying to find guys that kind of fit what they do offensively. And what fits offensively for a college offense 
doesn't always necessarily develop into a first-round draft pick. Um, but I, it, it is a little bit of an anomaly. I, as good as they have recruited, it's a little bit surprising that, that we haven't seen more guys come out of there, especially when Jameis was there. I mean, they, they had some guys who were making plays on, on Saturdays. You would have just assumed they would have uh, transitioned pretty well into the NFL. And um, for whatever reason, that we've, we've not quite seen that. Um, but I, you know, I think Willie Taggart will recruit at a pretty high level down there and wouldn't surprise me at all to see that, uh, that, that streak, uh, end fairly soon. Thanks, Kirk. Sure. All right. We're going to go to Andrew Hill with Tuscaloosa News and then back up, uh, north to Ryan Dunleavy with NJ.com after that. Andrew, go ahead. Hey, Kirk. Uh, I'm just interested in getting your thoughts on Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, it's not often that you see a do-it-all type of guy also be so charismatic. So I was curious on how you thought he might develop into a NFL safety or corner. Great question. Um, that's one of the things. Every time we'd go in to do an Alabama game, uh, I, I'm really fortunate to be able to sit down, you know, for production meetings privately with, uh, you know, a, a two or three players, the coordinators, and, and of course, coach. And Mink is always a guy that his first year, you know, when you try to talk to him, he, he's very shy. You probably know from covering their team, very quiet guy. And, you know, as he gained more and more experience and confidence, he became a very interesting guy to talk to, a cerebral approach to the game. Um, I always asked him about what you're asking because uh, he was so good initially at corner. And then, at, you know, they, they had some injuries and they, they moved him around, as you know, and he's so good at playing that star position over the slot, so good at back there at safety. Even in dime, they move him up to, to linebacker because he can blitz and cover. Um, and he and, and Derwin James are, are probably the two most versatile players coming out this year, and I'm anxious to see how they go, which order they go, because they both uh, bring so much to the table. His intelligence is what, uh, to me, separates him. I, I'll never forget, I, I came to a scrimmage. It was closed on an on a, um, August scrimmage. And coach let me in to watch, and I was just sitting up there, and the families were in there, and <clears throat> I went in there to watch. It was when they were trying to figure out who was going to be the quarterback, and uh, Blake Sims had just left, and uh, everybody wanted to know who was going to be that that quarterback. And I remember watching that scrimmage. It was middle of August. They had no idea who the quarterback was going to be. A lot of people assumed the freshman Blake Barnett would win it, and he threw a couple picks that day. But what stood out to me that day was this number twenty nine. And I don't follow recruiting that closely to really know. So I, ha I happen to have a roster, and I kept seeing 29 and uh, 15, same day. They're both true freshman defensive backs. And I kept watching 29, and he would work because of some injuries. He was working with the first unit, and then when he would come out, he'd be standing next to Mel Tucker, uh, the defense coordinator, and he's standing right next to him when he was out. Well, the rest of the guys are getting back, getting a drink of water. He's standing right next to the coordinator, asking questions, pointing to things, trying to learn as much as he could. And I'll never forget after the scrimmage, I walked down on the field and I was leaving. I bumped into Kirby Smart, who was still the defensive coordinator. I was like, man, you guys look good. I said, what's up with 29, dude? And he's like, and he just, his eyes got real big, like, like special, different kind of guy. And this was a true freshman in his first scrimmage at Bryant Denny. And from that moment on, I just remembered that guy's going to be good. That guy's going to be a unique player. And then, of course, when Cochran got a hold of him and he got stronger and faster, um, he's just one of those guys. 
and his versatility make and his intelligence makes him unique. I personally think he'll gravitate to that star position. I think he'll be as good as there is in the league eventually. I think he's a perennial pro bowler type of guy, and I think he'll be a first-class professional as far as the way he carries himself. And I'm looking forward to watching him develop uh, at the next level. Thank you. Sure. All right. All right. We're going to go to <laughs> no worries. We're going to go to Ryan Gutwee with uh, NJ.com and then Josh uh, Kendall with the, the state down in Columbia after that. Ryan, go ahead. Hey, Kirk. I think, I think sometimes we get uh, carried away with, like, new is always better. So I'm, uh, if I can ask you uh, comparatively, with all the talk about Saquon Barkley, how does he compare if they were in the same draft? to Ezekiel Elliott or Leonard Fournette? Would you have him ahead of those guys? And then the same kind of thing with these quarterbacks, and if you got to know Davis Webb at all when he was in college, the Giants backup quarterback, how would he compare to the quarterbacks at the top of this draft? Look, Kirk, you saw that? Sarah, can you still on me? Uh, Kirk, yeah, Kirk is still on the line. Kirk, did you by chance mute your line? We aren't able to hear you. And again, I do show Kirk's line established. One moment. Okay, hang on. Sorry about this, guys. Kirk, you still there? And ladies and gentlemen, it'll be just another moment. And again, ladies and gentlemen, it'll be just another moment. Kirk is rejoined. Guys, you there? Hey, Kirk, you can you hear us? Yeah, yeah, I got you. So what I was gonna, what I was saying, I don't know what happened there. And what I'm sorry, Kirk, what, your audio is still uh, just a bit low, also. Can you hear me now? Yes, please go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Kirk. I was I was asking about Davis Webb compared to the quarterbacks in this class and Saquon yeah. Barkley compared. Yeah, to I heard you. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Sometimes we get enamored with the, the latest and greatest uh, type of thing. Um, Davis Webb was you know, he, he, he's a little bit different because of the system he was coming out of. I think um, I, I was talking earlier about quarterback development and and how quarterbacks are, you know, before they came out of some version of the spread, how much how difficult it was for them to sometimes then learn an NFL system and how the NFL system seems to be adjusting to, to their their skill set a little bit better. I, 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 you know, I, and I don't remember what round Davis Webb went uh, that year in his draft, but I, I think that uh, these four guys, I know it's easy to kind of prop them up, but time will tell. But as far as three of them, mm-hmm. that I'm, you know, I'm a little bit more confident in just because of seeing them compete at a very high level with uh, Baker and, and Sam and, and Josh uh, Rosen. Um, I, I'm pretty confident that these guys, all three, 
are are difference makers. They're guys that could potentially become guys you can you can build your franchise around. So that that's what I would say about those three. I'm not knocking Davis Webb at all, but uh, I think these guys are very different in the way they're they're coming out. As far as the running backs, uh, Leonard Fournette was unique uh, with his power. Uh, he, he battled through some injuries in college. Zeke Elliott really had some moments that, that uh, the combination, again, of, of power and, and, and quickness that made him really separate in some big games, uh, high-profile games. This could Saquon Barkley, though. I, I, I would put him up more with, I, I mentioned on SportsCenter, maybe in the last 15 years, I mean, Adrian Peterson comes to mind. I mean, I'm talking once in a, in a blue pack um, because of what he can do making people miss, um, being able to be involved in the passing game. You're going to play all three downs. It's just a total package. Um, so I, I I think Saquon Barkley is the best player in this draft, and I think he would stack up with any running back uh, that we've had come out, like I said, in the last 15 years. Thanks, Doug. Perfect. We're going to go to Josh with the uh, the state down in Columbia and then go to Lauren with SEC country after that. Josh, go ahead. Hey, Kirk. Appreciate your time. Didn't know how much time you'd spent on uh, evaluating Hayden Hurst, and do you think he's a first-round type guy, or do you see him down the line a little bit? I, I love Hayden Hurst. Um, you know, I, I – I, I probably didn't appreciate him as much during the season as I have during this preparation um, of the, for the draft. Um, I, I think he, uh, you know, Mark Andrews, everybody's probably talking about those two up near the top as far as tight ends. I think Mark's more of a, a bigger receiver that happens to be a tight end, uh, and I think he's a matchup problem. That, that position, because of Gronk, it just seems that uh, it gets more and more attention. And I think, uh, you know, Mark Andrews is a guy that can be a mismatch for linebackers and safeties and because of his skill set. Hayden Hurst is a little bit more of a true old-school tight end. I think he's more physical with the line of scrimmage. Um, He is so dangerous after he catches the ball. He's fun to watch after he gets his his hands on the ball because he's he's looking to hurt somebody. I mean, he's he's looking to run over somebody. And I just love his energy, his athletic ability. Um, he just seems like a guy that, that uh, you know, he tested the waters in baseball, has come back to football, and, and now seems to have a real passion uh, for the game, and he plays that way. So I think he's probably the most all-around, uh, the top tight end in this draft when you throw in blocking, receiving, just a total package. How much do you think his experience in pro baseball prepares him for the transition into a, another pro league? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think any time a guy um, goes through a different experience, think about it. You cover South Carolina, your average guy, he shows up, he's in Columbia, he, he lifts weights in the off season, he goes through spring ball, he, you know, he gets ready for camp, he goes through camp, he goes through the season, and he does that for three, four, five years, and that's his experience. You can play that minor league baseball, and you're on buses, you're around other guys that are trying to chase dreams, and it's a very, very different lifestyle. And so to taste that and experience that and not have that, you know, that dream become a reality and then to have, hey, here's door number two, this is still an option for you, it probably gives you a a, a newfound respect and appreciation. And I think that's why he plays the way he plays. I think, like I said, he plays with 
with energy. He plays with passion. And my guess is it has a lot to do with, you know, that baseball experience. And I think anytime you can, uh, you have an opportunity to, to go and chase the dream like that, and you come up a little bit short, I, I think that can help you to really get focused on maybe this, uh, this next chapter in your life. So I, I think it'll help them out. Appreciate it. Sure. All right, we're going to go to Lauren with SEC Country and then go to uh, Joey with the uh, Orange County Register after that. Uh, Lauren, why don't you go ahead? Hey, Kirk, thanks for doing this. Um, sure. There's been a lot of talk about Carlton Davis from Auburn. Um, I was wondering if you see any other Auburn guys, on Johnson or Jeff Holland, uh, maybe getting picked up in the first round. Um, you know, I think Carryon Johnson is is a kind of sneaky uh, pick as a running back. Um, you know, there, there's we talked so much about Saquon Barkley and the two backs at Georgia, unique. There's guys at, at LSU, USC had a good back and Ronald Jones. Uh, and then after that, there, there's about five or six guys that I'm sure at some point are going to go. Uh, Carryon Johnson, I think, what people are trying to figure out with him is how much of what he did was Gus Malzahn's system and that got him in a position to have a lot of success and how much of what he can do will transition into the NFL, a little bit more of a traditional system and asking him to do things. I personally love the way he runs the ball. I love his patience and vision. I love the burst that he has to go along with those two things. I thought he did a good job, even though he battled through some injuries, of being a workhorse, especially late in the year for that offense. So, I don't know if he's a, a first rounder, but I think he's on the cusp. Depending on how you know how the draft goes, you start to see some backs go, and, and that can start to shoot other backs up, and and vice versa. So you just never really know. But I think he, he's one of those guys kind of around the friends. And I think Jeff Holland really helped his draft status with a, a, a great year in 2017. Just a relentless approach. Not necessarily a guy that's just going to blow you. Uh, you know, blow your mind with how, how fast he is, traditional SEC guy, edge pressure guy. But because of uh, his work ethic, because of the way he uh, never really gave up on plays, it, it allowed him to be very productive. So he'd be another guy that uh, is kind of in that, probably in that, that second round, depending on how that draft goes. Thank you. Perfect. And uh, we're going to go to uh, out west, Joey Kaufman with uh, Orange County. Uh, and then go to Dwayne Rankin with Montgomery after that. Uh, Joey, go ahead. Kirk, uh, thanks for doing this. Um, I had a question on, on Sam Darnold. If, if you go back the last 10, 15 years, USC every other year seems to put out a, a top quarterback to the NFL, and, and they've had kind of varying degrees of success. And, and so I was wondering what kind of makes Sam Darnold maybe different from, from past USC quarterbacks, or what kind of makes him unique from, from all the guys they've sent? Well, you know, I'm I'm one of these guys that doesn't really put a whole lot of stock into what a previous quarterback or defensive back or groups of linebackers have done, whether it's good or bad. Uh, Sam Darnold's his own guy. Um, you know, you look at some of these SC quarterbacks and who their offensive coordinators have been and who their schemes have been, uh, this is a different set of circumstances for, for Sam and the, and the offense that he's coming out, out of with, uh, with Clay Helton and with the team that he played with. You know, he, he's different. You go back to 16 and he had Juju Smith and he had a, a healthy offensive line 
and he had a great year. He did a lot of things that people said, oh, my gosh, this guy in 2017 is definitely going to win the Heisman after that Rose Bowl. He is the face of college football. He is the man. And then he came back with a brand-new offensive line, three new starters, a whole new group of wide receivers, dealt with battles of, of injuries up front. I think he started to try to maybe feel the pressure to do too much. Um, started to leave the pocket a little bit early. I was talking about earlier on the call because I probably learned some bad habits with that new line. And so he still had incredible moments, um, but he also dealt with turnovers. You know, you know that from, from watching him. I think he had 22 last year, and I think it had to do with trying to live up to those lofty expectations that he created for himself in 2016. Um, but I, I don't think Sam is sitting there wondering, man, Matt Leinert and Mark Sanchez and Matt Barkley, and man, I, I've got to, I've got to break the trend here. I, I, I don't think anything that those, any of those guys have done has anything to do with, with him. I think his skill set is very unique. It's very different. I think his intangibles are off the charts as far as how flatlined he is. Uh, might be a Joe Montana as far as his approach to the game and his emotions. Uh, during the game, good or bad. Uh, there's a lot to fall in love with about this guy. Um, and so I, I, uh, I think that because of what he brings to the table, 6'3", what, 220 pounds, can make plays out of the pocket, can create, can make plays from the pocket, I, I, I'll be shocked if within three or four years, if we're all on this call again, if Sam Darnold hasn't established himself as, as, a, as a really good NFL quarterback. All right, perfect. We've got time for just a few more here. We're going to go to uh, Dwayne with uh, Montgomery and then go to Angelique in Detroit after that. Dwayne, go ahead. Thank you. Kirk, when you you touched on this a little bit with the uh, guys, you know, high school, from high school to college in terms of the quarterbacks. But I watch a lot of these high school guys and see the videos they put out. They're mimicking what you see in the combine in terms of when they're doing these individual, quote, workouts. Um, how much do you see them doing that, eventually helping them when they do get to this point in terms of getting into the draft? Uh, you're talking specifically at quarterback? Yeah, yeah, quarterback, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I I think um, I'm, I'm good friends with George Whitfield, who's one of these, these kind of quarterback guru coaches that, that works with guys. And I, I, I really will tell you this. If you go back 10 years ago or 15 years ago, and it sounds like you follow the high school game too and understand, think about how rare it was to see a freshman quarterback step in ready to deal with the speed of the college game, um, the understanding of the scheme, the understanding of defenses, and being able to kind of be thrown in and, and being able to play right away. 10 or 15 years ago, that was rare. You just didn't see it. Now, you're seeing these kids work from 7th grade, 8th grade, ninth grade, all the way through high school. Then they graduate early, so they're a mid-year guy. So now they show up on campus in January when they're supposed to be getting ready for the prom. And now they're going to classes, and they're walking around the campus, and they're going to winter conditioning at 6 in the morning, and then they go through spring football. They're still supposed to be a high school senior. And then they go to get into the summer in June and July, they're still training and working out. They're around the, 
the, the, the varsity guys, right? And they're still supposed to be in high school. They show up basically in their first freshman year almost as if they're a redshirt freshman. And so the development of these guys, the development, I think, allows these guys to be ready to go and play and play at a really high level because of all the training that they do. And then when they graduate early and learn the system and they're ready to play as freshmen, and many of them in their brains are thinking, I'm going to play for three years, and I'm going to go to the NFL. I mean, that, that's that's the average elite 11 quarterback. That's what he's thinking about. And so I think the, the training definitely helps with the growth and allows them to be much, uh, much, much, uh, they're ready much sooner than maybe the guy that was 10 or 15 years ago. So, you know, I don't know if they're setting the combine. I just think they're working with these coaches and, and learning how to do things maybe in ninth and 10th grade that they didn't know until they were maybe uh, even a, a freshman in college just because of all the time they're putting into it. Thanks, sir. All right, we're going to go to Angelique in Detroit and then go to Ryan uh, with the Florida Times Union after that. Angelique, go ahead. Thanks, Derek. Um, Kirk, I mean, in the spirit of this call, I want to ask about Mo Hurst, but I'm really curious um, your impressions of Shea Patterson and, and really interested in, in your take on whether a player transferring from a, a team on probation should should be ruled automatically eligible. Yeah, I think he should just have an opportunity to – I haven't followed it. I, I don't know. It seems like it's become a big drama, a big, big story. I I, I'm, I'm hoping it's just it's good let the guy let him play. Um, I, I don't know what the issue is. I have no idea what we're waiting on. But um, I, you know, I think talking about a difference maker, if he's able to, to get in school and and be a part of the football team and, and be able to get going. Um, I, is he, did he go through spring ball? Did, is he out there doing what yeah. he needs to do? Yeah, he's still yeah. Okay. He he is. You probably see him. He is a unique player. They can throw it. Uh, they can run. Um, you know, everybody talks about Jim Harbaugh. What's going on with Michigan? Why aren't they winning? And, and to me, when he gets and he's gonna, it's gonna happen. Once he's recruiting the quarterbacks and the receivers, the skill, they eventually will be there, and they might be there now on campus. Uh, Michigan will be fine, um, and, and you know that as, as well as anybody from all your years of being around that program. Uh, but he's got to get a quarterback uh, to be able to go to the next level and. Shea would, I think, give him that uh, instantly. So hopefully that, that works out for him. Um, and, that, yeah, answering the other question as far as could they be eligible, I, I think, yeah, I think these guys should be able to leave a program uh, that's in disarray and be able to transfer out and be able to go and right away be able to join a program and and be able to hit the ground running. Um, so I'm, I feel bad that he's still dealing with some of that stuff. Uh, as far as Mo Hurst, I think he – is I, I have a list of guys that are kind of like sneaky guys that kind of have kind of fallen through the cracks. You know how the draft build up, people find anything and everything, whether it's off the field issues. In his case, you know he had the issue with his heart at the combine, right. and it's almost as if they just get forgotten. You know, and I'm like, yes. I don't. I, I've heard that he's passed all the tests since then. I heard he's been cleared. People better remember. Just turn the film on. Um, yep. He is a quick. He's a little undersized, but makes up for it with his quickness. And he's a playmaker. And we've got these these big guys, Vita Via and Deron Payne, and there's some big names that are inside guys. 
And I'm telling you, Mo Hurst will be one of those guys that I don't know where he's going to go. My guess is somewhere in the first round. But he's going to be a, a guy that next year everybody's watching and he's making plays in the backfield and people are going to be like, who, who is this guy? And, <laughs> I, you know, I think he's slipping through the cracks and hopefully somebody, if he's healthy and, and you know, everything's okay, um, he's a guy that's going to be somebody's going to, somebody's going to get a steal, in my opinion, with, uh, with whoever picks him up. Thanks so much, Kirk. Yep, you got it. Take care. All right, looks like Ryan dropped off, so we're going to wrap it up with the last question here with Alex Smith with the uh, with the Cox Media Group. So, Alex, I believe you're still on the line. Why don't you go ahead? Sure thing. Uh, Kirk, um, Lewis and Greg brought this up kind of out of the blue yesterday in terms of Calvin Ridley's stock. Um, they said that the inconsistent Alabama quarterback play sort of hamstrung Ridley a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. know if, if, if that's your opinion on it and, and if you have any other thoughts. Yeah, I, 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 funny, I was just making some notes last night on Calvin and, and watching more film on him. It's one of the things that I think it's only fair to him um, to just be honest and, and real. I, I think Brian Dable, he's worked with great coordinators. You know, Lane Kiffin and, and then Brian Dable came in, who obviously is now with Buffalo. And I, I think Brian, as the year went on, for whatever reason, um, the offense kind of, kind of, kind of leveled off, and I think it had a lot to do with Jalen and Jalen Hurts, the quarterback at Alabama, and so they they became a little bit more conservative, a little bit more predictable, a little bit more, hey, defense and running game aren't going to hurt you, and let's just, you know, not lose the game at the quarterback position kind of thing, <clears throat> and I think that's why if you watch the national championship, when Sula came into the game, it was as if the receivers all their eyes lit up, and it was like, "Here we go. We got let's make some plays," and they really took off uh, in that second half. And, and I think you saw a different kind of production in the passing game. <clears throat> so I think he was limited, especially this past year. But if you watch the film of him, he he is. I don't know what the, the word on him is. I I have I don't keep up with like where what where if he's trending down or up. I don't know if there's a better receiver in the draft. Uh, his route running is exceptional. Um, his acceleration, uh, getting in and out of breaks, when he gets the ball in his hands, you hold your breath with what he can do. So uh, I, I think he is at the top receiver in the draft, and I think you do have to take into consideration um, kind of the system that he was coming out of as far as not Brian Dable, but just where they were with, with the quarterback and, how um, they became a team that was going to win the game with field position at defense and special teams. And I think uh, maybe that ultimately impacted uh, his success in production. Thanks. Perfect. And that's going to uh, wrap up the call. We appreciate uh, everyone joining. And, and Kirk, we appreciate uh, your time. And uh, we're all looking forward to the uh, draft next Thursday. It's fast approaching. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you, and thank everybody for, for joining us. That was fun. If anyone has any questions or, or needs any follow-up, feel free to uh, reach out to me via my email, which is on the uh, conference call advisory we sent around yesterday. So thank you, everybody, and uh, we'll be in touch soon.